heard that benediction for many years. I'm sure all of us who have known the Lord and have gone to churches of our lifetime, <coughs> we've heard pastors end the service very often with this last verse in uh, 2 Corinthians. What we probably have not often realized is that this beautiful benediction, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what wonderful words, may the love of God, beautiful, and even his fellowship be with us, that these are the words that end this very difficult letter, this controversial letter, these two letters, really, that we have of the Apostle Paul that are filled with just exhortation, warning, uh, rebuke, uh, that you say, um, really sort of a, a con contrast there. Um, and yet that is the note on which every sermon should end. The benediction of the Lord on his people. For we claim that we are, by God's grace, in him, and being in him in Jesus, we are his. And so we are not presumptuous about that, but we are saying gladly, we say, thank you, Lord, that your favor rests upon us, that your mercy is so great that it is new every morning, but we cannot take it for granted. And this is why this message seemed to be centering so much on warning. Um, I put it there, warning, saves, warning signs save lives. When we're still living in California, those uh, years leading up to coming here, I recall now that uh, every summer, well, I would say every summer, we would hear these announcements in the news that somebody had fallen off a cliff, a mountain cliff, somewhere in Yosemite National Park. Um, it was, uh, you don't hear about it as much anymore, I think, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, this whole sort of uh, people taking selfies, you know, and uh, so the signs are there, you know, don't go beyond this sign, and uh, people, especially from other countries, of course, you know, they don't know maybe the terrain and everything, <coughs> and how fun it is to be on the precipice of this rock that has that 2,000 feet below valley there to look at ourselves and do a selfie. And so these things happen. And you say, oh, that is tragic. I mean that. It's absolutely tragic when any person uh, loses their life. But how foolish could have been avoided very easily if a person had read the sign and heeded it. And so I associate that with a Christian life. <coughs> We are not above reproach. We are not incapable anymore of sinning, of going willfully even against God's demands and commands and, and warnings. Um, this is why we have um, the Word of God still given to us as God's people. Until Jesus comes again, we very much need God's Word to lead and guide us into His way. Mm -hmm. then we're safe. Um, so let's take a look at this, uh, at this passage here. Um, biblical preaching, biblical teaching, 
includes warnings. We always have to be careful that we don't make these big pronouncements and generalizations as preachers. But I've heard others say as well that there is a real possibility, shall we put it really mildly, there's a real possibility today that many who call themselves Christians are um, having a sort of what they sometimes call an easy believism. It is taking for granted what you have in fact received graciously from your God, a new life in Christ, a new creation you are, born again to serve your new master and Lord. Um, that, that becomes something that you take for granted. And it is uh, easy believism pretty soon. I'm in Christ, I'm, I'm safe, I'm on the right side of things. Um, and you begin to become content with and satisfied with this whole idea that I'm a member of a church, um, I have a fairly decent record that shows that I have done this and this and the other thing, uh, I'm a decent person, um, and before you know it, you kind of lose touch or be out of touch with the Holy Spirit himself, who is there for us, not only to comfort us, to assure us, to remind us that we are God's children, but he is also the one who very much works in our lives to remind us that we haven't gotten there yet. We are still on our way. We have come out of the exodus in Christ Jesus, and there's this whole Sinaitic desert before us in which we are wandering for 40 years. I'm making a parallel that is not perfect parallel, but the imagery is the church is on its pilgrimage, on its way, and it is encountering plenty of opportunities to distrust the Lord and to trust other things and people instead. And when that happens, we are not doing well typically as a church, as individuals. And so my first point is that warning it is, has to be central to Christian ministry uh, because of the world that we live in and the prone people that we are, prone to sin, um, that it is biblical, first of all. Uh, God is a warning God. God puts out signposts all over the place. Start with the creation story, the great and beautiful beginning. God made Adam and Eve when, the rest, when he was completing his creation and he placed them in this gorgeous, beautiful garden, shall we say. And they are there to do his work on his behalf, to take care as stewards of his kingdom here on earth. Um, and then God gives that warning. What was that warning again? When he puts them in the garden, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. You'll come to regret it. Well, they certainly did. And we do too. Because Adam's sin is my sin. 
However difficult that is to comprehend, yeah. is what the Bible teaches. So the Bible, off the first pages, begins to warn God's people. Then you go to Israel. They've come out of Egypt. They've been set free. Canaan is waiting for them as an anticipation of the eternal kingdom of God in which we shall one day dwell and live fully. Um, microcosm of the kingdom eternal in Canaan where you see already in the desert, right? That's why they were there for 40 years. They begin to, to, to ignore the warnings of God. And so Moses... When you read the books of Moses, uh, the Pentateuch is called sometimes, and you see all the things that happen, and you see constant warnings, basically. And it doesn't get much better with Joshua, and then it doesn't get much better with the judges, and it doesn't get much better with the prophets. It's one long series of warnings that God issues to His beloved. Keep that in mind. It's one thing that God you know, warns the unbeliever, the unregenerate, but those chosen, set aside, dedicated for the glory of God, they are the ones. And when I say they, I say we are the ones who disobey God's warnings. And so they need to be voiced, they need to be proclaimed. Um, and so it's a biblical practice that warning is central to God's administration when he deals with us, his people. All because of his covenant love. Because he loves you, God disciplines you and me. Because he is readying us. He is, he is he's molding us and shaping us individually as a family of believers to follow that path, that one path. There are no other paths. We hear a lot about that, of course, in the world, that you, know, you don't really have to be a Christian. You can also maybe be a Hindu and end up in the same situation eternally. There's only one way. And that's the way of Jesus. God's way. The one he provided for us. And so warning is definitely part of... Um, the Old Testament uh, preaching that takes place. And we see it, of course, culminate uh, in John the Baptist, who we hear about in the second service. Uh, Luke chapter 3 is what we're going to be looking at there. But John the Baptist, what was his ministry like? Well, I don't want to give away the sermon, but, uh, you know, it was uh, repent. Repent. And show fruit of repentance. To live under the benediction that Paul sounds at the end of this letter, we need to know that we are people who have not yet arrived. We are not yet what we are in Christ in principle. We are perfect. As God looks at us, he sees us in Christ as perfect. But that doesn't mean that when we live our lives day by day, that there is no sin in us. For why else would God have this big book to give us instructions and warnings? Because we have that inclination that continues until we see Jesus. 
And so it's a beautiful thing to have the benediction of God rest upon us. But we can't take it for granted. And that's why we do have the need to listen to the warnings, the warning signs that God graciously provides his people as we travel and are on our pilgrimage to the promised land. That warning is not just necessary, it's, it's, it's biblical, but it's also uh, beneficial. It is uh, necessary. Um, it is for a good purpose. When you look at the passage that we have read, um, you see Paul mentioned several times that the warnings that are given are for the upbuilding or restoration of God's people there in the church in Corinth. Um, for example, um, very clearly, I would say, uh, is the very end of chapter 12. You see there that um, Paul writes, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Uh, he's referring to the fact, of course, that he may have to be that bold and, uh, and exhort them and rebuke them, and they won't like that very much, to be sure, um, that perhaps there may be quarreling, he says, he mentions eight of these things, uh, quarreling this first one, then jealousy, anger, hostility, and he ends it uh, the list with disorder. Whenever God's people uh, disobey God's warning signs, his rules, his law, um, it tends to disorder rather than order. If we don't mind God's instructions, uh, it doesn't uh, typically, I would say always, by definition, uh, lead to um, not the growth and coming of the kingdom in us and through us, but uh, the disintegration of it. Um, if we love ourselves more than others, if we love ourselves more than God, is that going to advance the kingdom? Is that going to advance our personal growth in the Lord? Probably not, right? So uh, these, these, these things are happening in the church in Corinth. They're disobeying the warnings that, God, that Paul has given them. And he says, I fear that when I come again, 21, my God may humble me before you, and he will be, he will be humbled by that. Because they are his... his, his, his um, yeah, his result of his ministry. Um, he talked earlier about how he sees himself as a father to a daughter, being made ready for her husband. Uh, she is a daughter who has been set aside, right, betrothed. And so he sees it almost as his responsibility that having led them to the Lord, that he would then one day present them to the Lord. And what if, when he comes, he will have to be humbled because where is that evidence that she is the beautiful, pure uh, bride of God, this church? And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. He's made that clear in 1 Corinthians, hasn't he? That whole list again of things that went wrong there. Um and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality that they have practiced. Um, 
in uh, chapter 13, verse 2, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. And then verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. It's beneficial when you test yourself. It's beneficial for us when we have physical ailments. It's good to have a um, doctor look at us. If we have symptoms of some kind or complaints, concerns that don't seem to go away, it's good that somebody with those skills examine us. We need to be tested in terms of our physical health, sometimes mental health as well. Um, it's, it gives us a, a, a sense of direction to know more in that way about ourselves so that we can maybe make changes in our lives or uh, uh, things like that. Um, it is beneficial when the Lord teaches us through His Word and through the preaching of His Word and individual counsel when that is biblical and godly. Uh, it is beneficial because while we may not like to be confronted with our sins, with our imperfections, um, if we are a Christian, and the Holy Spirit is in us, then the Holy Spirit will overcome, by His gracious working, those obstacles that we put up by our sinful nature, so that we become open and teachable, and, say we, and we actually welcome that. That doesn't go easy, typically. You're not saying, okay, Lord, tell me everything that's wrong with me. But the Lord is the judge of my heart, no one else. And His Word judges me. And in the light of the Word, I need to be warned by that Word to repent, to change. And they were not doing that very well, were they? Uh, they were pretty slow. Now, when I say they... We do have to remind ourselves again that at some point, weeks and weeks ago, I mentioned that at this point he is referring, he's speaking to a minority of the church that were holding out, is that the correct way of saying it? They were holding out their approval of him. All the others had kind of come around and they had, as it were, reconciled themselves with the Apostle Paul, but there's still this pocket of resistance that he is specifically uh, referring to here of men and women who take sin lightly, who continue to disregard the warnings, and they also then continue to think that they're still okay with God. <coughs> that is, of course, lethal. That is uh, um, toxic for the spiritual health of any Christian to think that sin and grace can coexist somehow. And so it is beneficial when the Lord examines us through His Word, and uh, the goal always being the growing of ourselves in Christ, the restoration of our fellowship in Christ with Him and with one another. 
And so uh, that is the, the, the purpose that God, uh, that, that God uh, has with, uh, through Paul and my, reminding us as well, uh, my friends, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Verse 5 in chapter 13, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless I, indeed you fail to meet the test? So if it is assumed that Christ is in you, then you come around if there's things to repent of and to change in our lives, is what the Apostle Paul is saying uh, in his own way of doing that, actually. Um, seems a little cryptic uh, and indirect, but nevertheless there. And then I just want to go to uh, the final point, and that is the benediction in itself. Um, God wants his best for you, yes. Uh, not so much the way in which that is presented uh, in some of our uh, evangelical churches, uh, that God wants the best for you, and you just name it and claim it, and the best will just uh, be delivered to you by FedEx. Um, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. Uh, God graciously may give us all kinds of things, uh, may entrust us with, with, with wealth, with uh, responsibilities uh, in life uh, that others might be envious of. Um, but God does what he does for his purpose, for his reason. And when he gives us, let's say, extra, then it is because he also expects extra from you. He doesn't give some things to everybody indiscriminately, but we become very responsible. We become responsible then for the things that God has given to us to take care of. But we appreciate Paul's ending. We said of the letter with that benediction so much because there in the benediction is God's best. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, how can you argue with that? When you see, once again, these words, or you hear them, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, that is God's best, isn't it? We're never left in doubt when we hear the benedictions particularly from this one, when we leave this place for another week of service in God's kingdom, we're never left in doubt that God gives his best to us. And that best, of course, has been demonstrated for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not become the, the you know, sort of uh, powerful, um, uh, in, a, in a worldly sense, powerful, um, he came in weakness. The power of God on display in weakness. Um, but it is a weakness that is a weakness in anticipation of life. And that eternal life has come down to us by faith through the Holy Spirit. And it lives in our weakness, if you will. So those are really sort of paradoxical terms, isn't it? Weakness and strength, weakness and power... They are sort of all at the same time, part of us, in us. That's why the world doesn't understand, I hope you understand it, but the world doesn't understand any of this. 
But we are not saying that we are going to do this, and we will do that, and, and we will show that God is the only true God because we have this to show and that to show, and the other thing, weakness. That's how, how, how the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, told the world, proclaimed to the world, here I am. The I am is here in me. He didn't, how did he do that? How did he ad administer his governance while he was in this world? He took up the cross. He had himself spat upon. He was beaten. He was ridiculed, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He was rejected because in weakness, his strength, his lordship strength was demonstrated. And it is no way and no other way for you and me. We're going to experience weakness again this week, my friends. We're going to be reminded again that we have not yet arrived. We're going to be sorrowful over sin and shortcomings. But that is also not a surprise to us, is it? We don't condone it. We repent of it. But we also do not despair. Because that very acknowledgement of my personal weakness drives me to say, Lord, benedict me, bless me, because you are Lord, you are God, and your fellowship with me is unbreakable. It is permanent. It continues forever and ever and ever. Now, to the degree and way by which we experience that, then in perfection, in fullness. Nothing can interrupt it. No more warning signs needed. No more reminders to us of how beneficial these warnings are to us because we will have no more need of that when we are with the Lord in heaven. Then we shall experience the fullness of the meaning that he has blessed us with his blessing in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your fellowship that we have in you and with one another. Because of that, we pray now, Lord, will you graciously give us grace to continue to serve you and to live for you and to give you our all now and forever. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen.